0: I lived for uh, several years in Vermont. And when I was there, I would often go to the uh, gatherings organized by the Bread and Puppet Theater. How many of you know of the Bread and Puppet Theater? Wonderful uh, organization. They were responsible for a lot of the 30 or 40 foot stilts at demonstrations and have been active for. (coughs) since the 60s, I think. And they would organize these large gatherings once a year in Vermont that would have 15,000, 20,000 people come for a weekend, camp out. And they would put on productions and offer um, free bread. (laughs) And wonderful gatherings. And um, one of the productions that they put on uh, was made into a poster. And I, I uh, have a copy of that poster, which I keep in my study. And it is this. And the poster says, this is the name of the piece, the story of one who set out to study fear. So I want to talk today about the study of fear. and. I'm wanting to study fear, explore fear, both as an integral part of our uh, individual practice, but also as a way to help make sense of some of what's happening in the world, where fear is uh, proliferating in many ways. And I think the uh, study of how fear manifests in our own experience, both in our um, inner experience and also very much in, in uh, what we witness occurring through the news or through, through reading um, is very important for our own practice and very important for the world. So that's my focus. And we'll see, I may well continue with it next week and invite people to explore the different forms of fear seen both internally and externally in the next week as a, as a focus. And I think I hardly need to mention some of the large-scale events that arouse fear, whether it be uh, uh, terrorism or racism or climate issues. Those are the big ones, right? You know, financial issues and so forth. And what I want to do is really, think, I think, look at uh, two main questions. Uh, what, First of all, what is fear? And particularly invite uh, our own mindfulness to study fear to look at fear in our own experience and say, what is it? What is the nature of fear? And then the second question is, how do we practice skillfully with fear? That's it. That's what, that's what I want to explore. What is fear and how do we practice skillfully with it? And uh, a short kind of preview of where we'll go is that um, there are different kinds of fear, uh, ranging from uh, anxiety, low-level or high-level anxiety, to full-blown fear, to more extreme forms like terror and uh, the repetitive fear of, uh, of trauma. You know, and there's, there's a whole range of fear. And um, interestingly, uh, fear has both skillful and unskillful aspects. The skillful aspects are that there often is real danger, you know, so fear is not just illusory. But we know that there are all sorts of ways that when we uh, react to fear, there can be extremely unskillful ways that we work with fear. We don't have to look far to see that. The unskillful ways, the ways that... uh, Fears proliferate, uh, minds go out of control, get caught in negative imaginary narratives and so forth. Right, and so what we want to do, especially with our practice, is be able to see what is the intelligent or skillful aspect of a given fear, which might be significant, might be minimal, and and what in the fear is unskillful, and particularly related to delusion and ignorance. So that's that can give us some guides for looking at our own experience and also looking out at the world to, to see that distinction. Um, and in this, it's really, uh, we're really looking uh, in a way that's similar to how we look at any challenging experience, any challenging emotion or any challenging uh, process of thinking or uh, imagining something for ourselves. But any difficult experience um, typically is pointing to something that is intelligent or skillful in part. Fear, sadness, anger even despair, all of these typically have some kernel that's helpful or valuable, but it gets caught up with reactivity. And the essence of our practice is to identify the reactivity connected with difficult emotions or difficult experiences, identify them, find ways to work with them and work through them so we come to a place where we can respond skillfully. That's always what we're up to. What that means is that the emotions in themselves are not the problem. The reactivity is the problem. Fear is not the problem. How we relate to fear is the problem, or is the issue, let's say. And that's something, so that's the, that's the essence of it. And I could just stop now and say, work with that. Go out for a week. Come back. We'll compare notes. OK, could do that. but. For the sake of filling up the hour, I will continue to talk. <laughs> so even I think when we're not aware of fear, it's actually pretty big in our lives because there are all sorts of fears beneath the surface, fears that are unconscious, um, and it's it is it is a very central uh, part of our practice, and. I could just uh, start, you know, as, in a kind of survey way, by asking, um, what are we afraid of? You know, the, we're going to be especially paying attention to the process of fear, the inner experience of fear, what it's like, but it's helpful to name what we might distinguish from the inner process, that is the object of fear, what we're afraid of. Let me just ask, and I'll, I'll repeat these. What, what are we afraid of? Death. death. Well, I mean, let's, let's go <laughs> sh- not so quickly with this. <laughs> okay. So, so death. It's a, it's a big one. Any, we all can relate to that, right? Uh, being out of control. Disruption of life. Disruption of life. Loss. Loss. Failure. Failure. Life. <laughs> Not, being loved. Not being loved. Not fulfilling my destiny. Not fulfilling my destiny. My son's future. <laughs> my son's future, yeah. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Floodwaters. What's that? Floodwaters. Floodwaters, yeah. <laughs> drought. I, drought, actual physical uh, circumstances, yeah. Illness and, pain. illness and pain, yeah. ISIS, particular groups, yeah. Donald
1: Trump,
0: <laughs> particular individuals. Uh, one that was mentioned is, uh, is Donald Trump, and and there would be, I don't know how well represented other views would be in this room, but other people would have different views, right? Uh, some, if if you were broad, if your response was broadcast in a Donald Trump rally they might be fearful of you. <laughs> uh, no, they would just be hateful. Just hateful, right? They, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, others, please. Violence. Chaos. Violence. Chaos yeah. Chaos, yeah. Embarrassment. Embarrassment, yeah. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Yeah, embarrassment, actually. Of course, when people do surveys, what is the most... Central fear that's named on surveys of what people are actually afraid of: public speaking. Public speaking what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I am engaging in the most fearful activity known to human beings, <laughs> and covering over my trepidation as skillfully as possible. <laughs> um, right. So there are these range of fears that that we've named, you know, and. Um, there may have been some that we didn't name, but it was quite a range. It ranged from uh, threats related to the natural world, to individuals, to groups, to to death, to loss, to to some kind of individual pain, and so forth, to the pain that people were close to, of others. And um, I think this is this is this is accurate, you know, that and, and we could. And one person even said fearful of life, right? That we can, you know, we we actually, when we look closely, we can sometimes see that we are, um, there, are there are hidden dimensions of fear that sometimes come out when we look deeply. You know, I know in some of my own uh, history of practice, it was surprising to me at a certain point to see, and this was when I was, uh, I think in my 20s and 30s, I saw that I had a whole set of conditioning where I actually was afraid of the future. And I wanted to control the present. And some of you may ha- may share that conditioning. You know, there was a lot of wish to control things. And it was actually, when I looked closely, there was actually a fear almost of the unfolding of experience, right? It was kind of shocking to, to see that in my own being. It wasn't that that... Um, manifested on the surface, but when I was very quiet and I looked carefully, at a certain point I saw that. Right. It was very, um, very striking. You know, and, we, and so there are, there are more obvious levels of fear and there are more hidden levels of fear you know, that, that we have in our own being that will surface, mm-hmm. sometimes with spiritual practice, sometimes with particular uh, catalysts or stimuli. You know, and we we have in many cultures really support fear in different ways. You know, we could say that in many ways our culture, like many cultures, is a culture of fear. There are many things that are you know that that support us. You know, I don't know. I my mind goes to just thinking about how the news is presented, right? It's like uh, you know, it's like um, I don't know, like people who I I live in Berkeley and go into Oakland all the time and people who don't live nearby, you know, say, is it safe? Right? And have th- things in their mind related to Oakland in part because of the news and the media, right? We, we know that. From Aung San Suu Kyi, the, uh, now the person who seems to have... Um, had her party win the election in Burma. You know, the, the great uh, champion of democracy in Burma and, and a very dedicated Buddhist practitioner. Um, she says, the only real prison is fear, and the only real freedom is freedom from fear. Yeah. And we probably could qualify that by saying the, the, the uh, prison is being caught in fear and the freedom is not being caught in fear in different ways. And one of my my favorite lines from uh, the poet Yeats, he says, to look at oneself unflinchingly takes more courage than a soldier on a battlefield. So we actually need a lot of courage to look at fear, interestingly. so let's look at the nature of fear and the invitation will be to study fear when it occurs in your experience and and again maybe maybe it's helpful to start by talking about the uh, the types of fear and then then I'll then I'll ask us to see what is fear how does what does fear feel like in the body the emotions and the thinking you know and what's the experience of fear like and it can be helpful, again, to look at these different types of fear or what, what is in the, the range connected with fear. This will help, you know, naming these, I think, can help us to have the intention to see uh, what is there in our own experience in the next week, ranging from anxiety. You know, what does anxiety look like? The small anxieties, the larger anxieties, the anxieties—what's there? What's what happens with our body? What happens with our minds? What happens the anxiety of, whatever, not being at an appointment on time? Fairly ordinary, low level. What are you know? What are higher anxieties? Are are there anxieties we carry with us a lot of the time? You know, ranging to uh, some sort of. Very strong fear that might manifest for a short time or a a larger time in different circumstances. Again, uh, that might wake one up in the middle of the night or manifest in a a nightmare, or be there for a short time. My mind goes to being at the dentist, and you know, I, I. Historically, personally, for me, dental work has been my main link with mortality, and and you know my I've had enormous amount of dental work, and I've twice had orthodonture. You know, and I had I had orthodonture as a teenager from age 13 to 18. That was rough to be a teenager with braces for. You know, probably a lot of my personality can be explained by. <laughs> such experiences, and also had orthodonture <coughs> as an adult. You know, I've had, had, anyway, I don't need to go on <laughs> too much, but uh, you know, when I'm at the dentist and I'm about to have, like, the, put the like, six-inch needle into my mouth, and I, I say, OK, now this is a time to study fear, and I can watch my mind proliferating, right? Or anticipating the future. Fear is really a kind of anticipation of future Pain, to a large extent. It's really, it's really the reference is always to the future. It's never to the present. That's an important uh, consideration, isn't it? Uh, you know, some teachers would say that if we can actually be with the present, there actually isn't that fear or there's not the experience. Let me just take this as a question of clarification. If it's a comment, could that you hold a it? Question of clarification. Yeah. So if somebody's being tortured yeah. and they're Question is, if someone's being tortured, and there's there's fear, uh, it may not is that not actually be the fear related to the present? Right. I would think it's related more to the future. Even in that extreme circumstance, it's about w- this continuing, right? Um, anyway, look at that. See if that's right. Look, at, investigate that. See see if fear is actually n- out of the present moment. And, you know, anticipating the future very, can be very related to the present experience. This is awful. Will this continue? I fear it will continue. That's, there's a link there. It's not like they're disconnected. But take a look at that, you know. So there's, there's the fear. And then, I, as I mentioned, there's, there's a kind of fear which gets um, um, caught in what we call trauma. You know, which, where there can be this um, hyper-vigilance and being locked into a kind of a fear which gets locked into the body and locked into the mind. And so there can be hypervigilance continually in relationship to things. You know, the fear is encoded in the body. Someone, you know, uh, uh, you know the classic case that we know of is of the war veteran who has this trauma from the war and is, the nervous system is hypervigilant, interprets the backfiring of a car as, I'm back in the war zone, right? Because that person's system is almost perpetually in the fear mode. It's locked into the body. That's an extreme case. Some people have actually tried to say that when historical trauma doesn't get dealt with, that kind of fear stays not just with individuals, but with groups. And there's an author named Joy DeGruy, who wrote a book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, you know, and talking about how that historical trauma, you know, and I can see it, you know, being Jewish, I can see that in some people in relationship to the Holocaust. I can see how that kind of vigilance and fear from that not fully processed historical event stays with, with certain people. And you know, I, I think it's part of the background for what's happening in the Middle East, right? That you know that there's trauma is the background of so many situations, unprocessed, undealt with trauma. So that's that's important to to see. There can be fear, you know, of um, parts of oneself, fear of uh, one's own shadow, and so forth. Uh, and as we've said, there can, there can be also this deep fear about not existing. You know, that again, we can, we can touch that when there, when there are situations involving death. It's also something that one can touch again in, um, in the depths of meditation, can touch this fear of not existing. And so, a lot of practices historically. Uh, bring one into more fami- familiarity with death and with one's fear of death and have one hang out there to, in some ways, work with that. It's a fundamental part of human pra- of, uh, spiritual practice. And just the there can be also the, even this fear of things changing, fear of impermanence again can arise, the fear of things changing. I remember once I had, I had a, this was one of my uh, dental surgeries, uh, about 20 years ago I had my, um, essentially my jaws were taken apart because I had my mother's like upper jaw and my father's lower jaw, possibly <laughs> vice versa. And, and um, this was at the end of another period of adult orthodonture and my jaws were taken apart and I had general anesthesia. And when I woke up, I was in an altered state. I was in an altered state for 10 days. You know, and I was... I alternated between fear and love. Pretty interesting. There was, But there was like this fear. Everything is fragile and impermanent. And I was totally tuned into that perception. Everything is fragile and impermanent. And then the other side of that, it deserves love. And I was in this very powerful ultra-state coming from looking into, you know, our own fragility. It's part of, part of looking into fear. So that's kind of the backdrop, this range, you know, from anxiety to trauma. It's, 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 it's a broad range in terms of fear. So what, what, do, what happens in the body? What do we notice? when there's fear or anxiety in the body. We want to study that. We want to get to know what's it like in the body. What would you say again? What 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 occurs when you contemplate a situation involving fear, what's what's there? Constriction. Huh? Constriction. Constriction maybe tensing, right? What else? Nausea. Can be nausea, right? Can can be nausea when there when there's fear. Can be a stomach. Ache can be stomach. Most of us, well, I think all of us localize tension and stress in certain parts of the body. For some, it's the stomach. For some, it's the head. Maybe some the chest lower and so back. F- lower back and so forth. Right. So we want to. This is part of studying fear is to know how it manifests in yourself and know that, you know, know that these um, physical signs are there. What else? How does, else? What do you notice on a physical level with shallow breathing? Shallow breathing right. Yeah. Huh? The dry mouth. Dry mouth, yeah. And of course there's adrenaline, right? The, you know, with some fear, kinds of fear, it's like the, you know, the evolutionary development is to mobilize our energy to face the threat, right? right? And that has, again, that's part of the intelligence there that can be there with fear. Of course if we're continually mobilizing energy and the threat's not really there as it would be in the case of trauma, it's extremely debilitating. Know, and confusing. So, what else? What are some of the other physical? Sleep disturbances. Can be sleep disturbances. May be very hard. Anxiety manifesting. Yeah. To think. What? To think. Hard to think. Right. Heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lack of focus. Well, let's let's stay with the anything else on the physical. I'm going to come to thinking because that's actually yeah very. That's actually where we can actually have significant intervention. Heartbeat, Heartbeat right? Yeah. not being, maybe not being in the body, right? Like going, just going somewhere, going into uh, imagination or just going into repetitive thought loops, right? So not, actually not being with the body. And there can be also some, you know, with, uh, you know, the typical um, sort of in, inbred uh, reactions to fear would be typically fight, flight, or freeze. Right, so they're going to be physical manifestations of all three of those. You know, there's going to be sometimes aggression coming up uh, with the fight. There's going to be, a, you know, a wish to get out, which could be mentally just to get out of the situation. And there could be freeze, which would manifest in some kind of paralysis, some kind of frozenness of the body. Also could be of the mind, just kind of a shutting down. As with animals, you know, animals in the wild, when the gazelle is is caught by a cheetah, the gazelle goes into complete frozenness, right? Shuts down, as it were, plays dead, plays possum, as we have the language. And that is, uh, that is uh, from the point of view of uh, skillfulness, that can be very skillful, because the cheetah may say, oh, this animal is dead, or may say, it's dead, I don't need to attend to it. Look somewhere else, and the gazelle leaps up and goes away. So it, it has, it, there are advantages, you know, for all that. And again, what, what are the, some of the manifestations in terms of our thinking? You know, you were mentioning that we, we go out of our body, we get caught in maybe repetitive thinking. Now, I, I'm, I'm saying all that, now, when we, especially when we look to thinking, we here is where we want to bear in mind both our own experience and the news. Because we'll see a lot of these phenomena playing out in the public, you know catastrophizing right going to narratives of catastrophe right worst case scenario fixating on them can be the case with fear what else happens with our thinking yeah right tunnel thinking lack of perspective no other considerations no ba- lack of balance in our thinking right this is again I'm inviting us to study this to see what we notice in the next week. Well,
2: we, we can also go towards addiction, which is like I don't
1: want to think about it so I'm going to buy more stuff or
0: drink more. Yeah, we, there can be a kind of, uh, uh, this, is, this may be uh, partly with the thinking, partly with the behavior, we can uh, simply uh, it's a form of flight. You know, we, we don't want to attend to the situation and so we Go somewhere else. We, you know, and you know, um, this was the guidance given after 9/11 by our president, um, <laughs> President Bush. He said, "Go shopping. <laughs> right. Don't deal with it." You know, um, um, so we can, yeah, we can go into various forms of escape. Uh, could be addiction. Could be just turning our attention elsewhere. What? What else?
1: Yeah. And, and, and to, and to you know, sit or to be in the body. Uh, it's just free-flowing.
0: Yeah. Kind of. could, could be, uh, yeah, inability to focus. Um, could be, related to what you were talking about, distraction. Yeah. Right? A lot of, could be distraction, inability to focus. Um, yeah. And a few others. Yeah. Black and white thinking. Black and white thinking. Sort of polarization. You know, uh, yeah, because if the mind thinks that survival is at stake, we can't make any mistakes, right? We can't even take into our country a Syrian orphan. That was what? That was Chris Christie, presidential candidate, said we cannot take a three-year-old orphan into the country. It's too dangerous, right? It's, but, it, but it has a certain logic to it, right? If you really want to be safe, better better go to the extreme, right? So in the fear there can be at times self-hatred. Certain types of fear could play on um, maybe pre-existing tendencies, self-hatred or blaming others and so forth. Maybe one or two more in terms of the thinking. Inability to be decisive. Inability to be decisive for some and for others as we were singing uh, over being overly decisive. (laughs) Right, or being being fixated for that reason. Um, yeah. So th- this is what we want to look at. You know, and and one of the elements of fear is uh, can be related to a model which I've often uh, taught here, uh, which is the model of how the mind tends to go towards more abstraction and doesn't deal with the actual lived experience. This is a model that. You may remember that comes uh, from organizational theories called the Ladder of Inference, and how we go further and further away from the actual direct experience. We go from the actual experience to a generalization, to assumptions, to core beliefs. And they can often, uh, when there's reactivity, we get driven towards greater and greater degrees of generalization, abstraction, can be catastrophic thinking all sorts of narratives which can be very loosely related to any actual reality, right? Because the fear can drive us to do that. And again, we see that, we see that uh, a lot in the news. You can, you can see how that is, is happening, uh, you know, with, again, with some of the fear about immigrants, you know, saying, well, let's only take uh, Christians, Christian immigrants. Let's not take any men. Or let's have no immigrants at all. Then we're safe. Right? Then we're really safe. So there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, and there's probably an inability, I think an inability, to actually look at the situation. Um, this is from, let me see, this is a very nice quotation from uh, Tanis Arabiku. He says this, think of a deer at night suddenly caught in a hunter's headlights. This is an example of fear. It is confused, it's angry, it senses danger, and that it's weak in the face of the danger. It wants to escape. These five elements, confusion, aversion, a sense of danger, a sense of weakness, and a desire to escape, are present to a greater or lesser extent in every fear. The confusion and aversion are the unskillful elements. Even if the deer has many openings to escape from the hunter, its confusion and aversion might cause it to miss them. The same holds true for human beings. The mistakes and evils we commit while fi- when finding ourselves weak in the face of danger come from confusion and aversion. We could talk about also about ignorance and delusion. right? That, that catastrophic thinking uh, is very related to a kind of delusive thinking. And fear, as it were, runs with our ignorance. We don't know things. We we have, we have mass. We have ignorance, whether it's factual ignorance, or or um, uh, the underlying ignorance about how the mind works. You know, and I was thinking about also about uh, these events. You know, historically in the United States, after traumatic national events, there there's always been overreaction. You know, maybe that happens in most countries, but there's been. Um, you know, there's been, you know, after um, the attacks on Pearl Harbor, 1941, right? There was the internment of the Japanese uh, in camps, including not so far from here. And um, it's interesting, I, I researched this a little bit. There was a, there was a 1980 congressional commission that investigated the internment and investigated the facts of what was actually happening at the time. This was their conclusion. The mass incarceration had no relation to national security. This is the Congress. This isn't just some political commentator. This is the U.S. Congress concluding there was no relation to national, or it was not done out of actual national security needs, but out of quote, race prejudice, war hysteria, and the failure of political leadership pretty striking. So there's, there's that overreaction, fear grips, of course, manipulated politically, right? We can see that right and left. You know, where we can look at the McCarthy period or we can look at 9-11 after these traumatic events, fear sowed, you know, what was it, Condoleezza Rice said, you know, we don't, you know, we, we think that Iraq has uh, weapons of mass destruction we don't want it to manifest in a mushroom cloud in New Jersey or something, right? She actually said, you know, you know, we don't want the evidence to come in the form of a mushroom cloud in the United States, right? Totally, you know, based actually, that probably could be called a deliberate falsification based on what they actually knew, right? So, so this happens, right? That after traumatic national events, there are these overreactions based on fear. Again, it probably happens in... in in most countries. So how do we how do we practice skillfully with fear? How do we practice with this? And again, I'm I want to encourage us to look both internally and externally. Read the news and say what is hap what is happening? What am I noticing? Is there proliferation of catastrophic thinking? Can I see that outwardly? Because I think it's quite important for us to connect our inner work with what we see in others. And it doesn't have to be the news. It can be, my friend has an illness. There's a lot of fear. Can I see what's happening for my friend? Right? Can I notice the manifestations of fear? And again, we want to distinguish between the skillful and the unskillful aspects of fear. The skillful are that there actually can be real danger, and it's important to respond. Right? They're actually, fear is not simply illusory, fear is, part of our evol- evolutionary uh, inheritance, right? To to deal with things, if you know. Uh, but it's that the, it's the unskillful aspects which lead to um, suffering, lead to dukkha, lead to reactivity, lead to um, whatever, interpersonal or social uh, problems. So how do we practice? I think we start uh, really by with mindfulness. You know, we want to study it, and particularly here we, we can study the fear where it manifests in a workable place, you know, where we're not overwhelmed by it. So I think very important to study anxiety. Study fear as it manifests in your own experience. Study it outwardly in the next week. Take notes, you know, what do you find? Well, how does it manifest in my body? And then also look externally. How do I see fear being sewed via the news or by friends, you know. Uh, I talked to a friend yesterday who, uh, whose daughter is at Berkeley High, and her daughter, who is 17, was scared about terrorism happening in Berkeley,
3: right?
0: Was fearful of that, and, th- and they had to have that discussion, right? And so how, it, you know, and what's skillful there and what is unskillful? Or what is um, thought gone awry, or thought, you know, or how does how do you work with that? How do you work skillfully with that? So mindfulness, being aware of the dynamics, studying fear in oneself, like like with the bread and puppet theater, be the one who sets out to study fear. Um, so we want to study it, notice it carefully, really know the manifestations of fear, much like a mountain climber. A mountain climber is very familiar with fear, right? But, and the fear has some intelligence, but the fear can also carry the person away. So a mountain climber is very familiar with fear, and presumably the fear is there in some way, but it doesn't proliferate to the point where it is paralyzing or takes that person away. So there's fear that can be part of life. But how do we study it so we really know it so we are not reactive? So we don't proliferate these catastrophic narratives or don't get caught in narratives that are scary. And again, a big part of our experience is how do we deal with difficult or painful circumstances without going into all sorts of negative scenarios, negative narratives. Uh, I I say it a lot, but when I work one-on-one with people, the most common guidance is really be careful with the scary stories you tell yourself. That's right at the heart of our practice, right? Identify and be careful with the scary stories you tell yourself, and we could, we could, we could um, offer that guidance to um, our leaders, right? I was thinking, I was thinking on the way here. I talked with uh, Heidi. Uh, Born, who spoke here in September. Do you remember Heidi? And Heidi had the uh, chance, she was in Washington, D.C., and she had the chance, she was invited to uh, teach meditation for the, at, at the U.S. Congress. And she, she taught, there's a group of people who come and practice mindfulness at the U.S. Congress. It's actually, I think it's the staff people. <laughs> the staff practice mindfulness. I don't know if they have the counterpart for. The, but I was thinking, gosh, we should have a training for Congress people in how to work skillfully with fear. If anyone hears this, I volunteer to lead that training. <laughs> but wouldn't that be amazing if our leaders actually were very skillful with fear? So you don't have like the what the mayor of Roanoke said. Maybe it'd be a good idea. Maybe the internment in the Japanese was a pretty good idea. Remember that? That was in the news. He obviously hadn't read the 1980 congressional report. Right? But he, he was not informed. He was ignorant. Right? Um, but there, there's fear there. So the mindfulness, really studying it, studying the manifestations of fear in ourselves, particularly looking for our, the way we tell ourselves scary stories. That's number one. If you had one thing to list, look out for that. Look out for how we tell scary stories. And then there also are uh, ways that when fear is, t- is too strong for mindfulness, there are ways that we can develop antidotes to fear. And This is a big part of practice, like to know when the fear has taken you over and to have a whole repertoire of ways to come back to balance when there's fear. You know? Uh, loving kindness practice, heart practices, have historically been understood as ways of working with fear. You know, and I can think of friends uh, from Thailand who were in prison, who'd practice metta or loving kindness all the time to avoid fear. Or and I've told the story a few times. Do you remember the story of when I was camping and given a um, a place where a bear had been through, and I, w- I was at a retreat and I in some state of mind, accepted a campsite where there had been a bear there like a, um, a week before. And I was told that, yeah, we took the bear away, took it 50 miles away. So I said, oh, yeah, very nice place. I'll, I'll take it. And then, you know, after the end of the day, 9.30 at night, I lie there in my sleeping bag <laughs> thinking, the bear. <laughs> the bear. Catastrophic thinking. Emerging, <laughs> right. The bear, the bear, you know. And we've all had that. those experiences, right? Camping, where the slightest twig breaking, thirty feet away from the lungings of a powerful squirrel, <laughs> become the signs of an impending bear attack, right? And so, in that situation. At a certain point I was witnessing the fear and I said it's time for loving-kindness. And I, so I practiced loving-kindness for three hours in a row. And the fear wasn't there, I slept really soundly, and I slept in that place for the next week, and fear did not come back. Right? I'm not saying guaranteeing, metta will work like that all the time. But, but um, in the moment, in the middle of the night, there's fear. Loving-kindness can be a powerful antidote, very, very helpful. Um, we can use all sorts of other ways to uh, come back to balance. You know, we can um, be with beauty, be with friends, um, sometimes read material that inspires us, uh, speak with a teacher, speak with a mentor. And um, we might also find ways to work with fear in the body, do various kinds of practices which are centering or grounding. That help us to come back, and then I think we also, in addition to mindfulness and developing antidotes, I mean, there's a lot more we can say. And maybe I'll I want to finish in a moment, and maybe come back to some further ways of working. I would say mindfulness in the long haul to really study fear, know what it's like, be there, and of course all the other <coughs> tools which we develop in practice can be very helpful. Developing compassion, loving-kindness, developing more equanimity. The more we are familiar with fear, like the mountain climber, fear will not paralyze us. When we know how fear works and fear comes, it's not such a big deal, right? We watch the mind. We say, I'm going to negative thinking. I'm going to catastrophic scenarios. I'm not going to go there, right? That's what we can do. I can identify that form of thinking, not go there, and stay more centered. And maybe lastly, just to say, there's there's a way um, that we can also ultimately deepen our practice with fear by working with our fear of death and going deeply into the question of who we are. And this is sort of the deeper element of spiritual practice which is complementary to everything else mentioned, that we, as we look more deeply into ourselves, we work with that sense of being separate. We have more of a sense of interconnection. And death, when we look more deeply at it, doesn't have the same fear for us before we begin the practice. So ongoing investigation of death and an ongoing investigation of who we are plays a very central role here. I think there's more I could say, but let me, let me end just with uh, one of my favorite little readings, passages. Uh, from the Sufi poet Hafiz, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see you in better living conditions. <laughs> So, reflections or questions or stories, please, so I have a lot of hands, uh, I see at least five. Let's we'll start with Adrian, we can go through, yeah, let me, s- keep your hands up so I can see everyone, yeah, oh, a lot, a lot of hands, okay.
1: Um, I had a big experience of fear yesterday and uh, as I s- tried to sit with it and yes there was the catastrophic uh, thinking and the worst case scenario and, and I went through the stages and I'm not sure I really got over the fear mm. but then I had this thought don't do anything that's going to make don't do not do anything that's going to make it worse mm-hmm. and not the fear but the actions because I'm yeah. afraid and I almost wanted to, p- to put it on the refrigerator because I can't I, I, I don't feel like I could promise that I can get over the fear, but what I don't want to do is make things worse around me because of it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's beautiful, Adrian. Yeah, just that intention, um, which it could be linked with the sense is, I feel fear. I don't want to give in to my reactivity. could be another way of saying that, you know, or I don't want to make things worse. Very, you know, which could mean, oh, I'm getting reactive. I'm likely to make things work. Let, let me <coughs> not go there. So I think that's very, very helpful.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, please, let's do, I see three other hands here, and then we go to this side.
2: Yeah. I'm aware of a phenomenon called the self-fulfilling prophecy, Yeah. which means that that which you think of is
1: more likely to occur than right. what you're not thinking of. And the way I try to deal with that is to substitute a different image. So I was on a plane yesterday, and flying makes me anxious. And so as I'm flying, I'm picturing the plane landing safely on the ground, or I'm picturing myself in my car pulling up into my driveway and being home safe. So that substitution is helpful for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, so to substitute an image or... I know something that I've done in some of my dental surgeries to bring it back is I, I've actually go to an image which is soothing. And then when fear arises, I go to, you know, and I know, you know, I know it's just happening and there, there's no action I can take. It's to go t- to a soothing image, a relaxing, which actually relaxes the nervous system. So very helpful. Go substitute an image. This is all dependent on mindfulness that fear is actually occurring. Right, because again, we want to watch being on automatic. So so in the back, uh, right back and then on the side.
3: Um, You spoke uh, about three weeks ago about the reaction and uh, I'm very bothered by the reaction to uh, the the slaughter in Paris, and which is reaction to the constant bombing that we've been, doing in, in the Middle East. Um, I was working on a painting about the bombing. Working on? A painting I'm working on. Painting, okay. And I had a, f- a bombed out city in Syria at the bottom of the painting. And then I had a series of bombs that related to uh, a painting by Magritte, which is a bunch of figures falling mm. down. And the bombs didn't feel right. So I put body parts in the bombs. And that didn't feel right. Then I put angels in the bombs, and then that didn't feel right. And then I said, why have bombs, just the angels? And so instead of falling, they're ascending now. Mm. So it's a series of white angels. And it's that kind of evolution, in some ways, that's kind of uh, uh, where we should be in some way. We're just reacting. We're going to go bomb the hell out of them again. And it's just bizarre, you know?
0: Yeah, and remind me of your name?
3: Uh, Dan, Dan Thomas.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. So the, again, to um, to have ways of uh, reshifting the usual model of being caught in uh, reactivity, right? And to you know, the paint painting can be helpful there. And to again, to um, you know, in the grips of fear. There's often the reaction, which can be military reaction. One thing that uh, you know, one thing that is atypical after these sort of things is actually to ask why did this happen. Remember, after nine eleven, it was taboo to ask questions like that, right? You, right? You, you can't ask questions like that. It's actually to look at history or to understand things historically or have perspective. It's. Um, not acceptable culturally in, in those situations often, and uh, it's because there's a being caught in the reactivity. So how to cut through there? You know.
3: Of uh, uh, further bombing is uh, supporting the uh, terrorist. I mean,
0: but it's the, the most bizarre kind of statement. E- either or thinking. That's where. The, so again, that's that's a manifestation of the fear, and the trauma. I mean, it's there in ordinary life without we have either or thinking all the time. But it's yeah, there you know, and that was the same after nine eleven, wasn't it? Either you're with the terrorist or you're against us. That was a line from two thousand two or so, right? And so it's that either or thinking, not really wanting to look closely at the actual reality. And you know that when and we have to watch our own minds. You know, we're not asking you to believe this, we're asking you to investigate. See if you see that in your own minds when there's fear. See if you see, I don't want to look at the reality here, I'm just, you know, if we want to blame someone for something, right? We often don't want to look carefully at things. Yeah, I think um, on the, we had one, you had your hand up, didn't you? Did you oh, no, okay, okay. On the, so then on the right, right? I think right in front of you, uh, Anne, she had her hand up first, I think. Uh,
1: I recently had to have an MRI on my brain And um, so I called my girlfriends to find out what their experience was because they had had MRIs and they said, um, the noise is terrible and you're going to be claustrophobic and all this stuff. So I decided I wasn't going to be afraid and that I wasn't going to be claustrophobic. (laughs) And when I got there, um, I didn't look at where I was going when they put me in the machine. And... I decided to listen to the loud noise as a pattern of music. Yeah, and I was totally relaxed. That's great. And just leaned into it. And when the noise stopped, I was anxious because I had <laughs> because I was so into the yeah. noise keeping me calm. Yeah, it was really interesting That's, to see. So it's a
0: beautiful it's so. I think what I want to invite are those kind of experiments, you know, that's similar to what I was describing at the dentist, right? Mm-hmm. Either ways you, you know, take these small things, which are temporary, short term, and, and see if there's some skillful ways to work with the fear that arises like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Please. Yeah.
2: Um, I had an observation uh, working with fear. One of the first things that comes up for me in terms of reactivity is sort of this conditioning that I shouldn't feel fear. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a fear of being afraid. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> that's one of the the first things for me, I guess, is just letting myself like fully feel that. Yeah. Just to begin to work with it, I guess.
0: That's a yes, yeah, a great observation to see, and, and it's that way for a lot of emotions, right? They're you know, my script says fear shouldn't be there or anger shouldn't be there, right? And so, and what happens when I uh, don't want to admit that it's there? It can be, you know, what happened? What actually happened, would, would you say, when that occurs?
2: Um, I, th- I think usually it's just kind of this idea that I, I have to tough it out. There's nothing I could do about it, so I have to mm-hmm. kind of just tough it out.
0: Tough it out, do you someti- would you sometimes blame yourself or something's wrong or
2: Yeah, I mean I think it often it gets into that sort of like someone mentioned self hatred. I think that's a little too strong more often than yeah. not, but just sort of this like self criticism. Yeah, why am I afraid? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Why am I afraid? So wonderful observation. So again, you can see how mindfulness with fear is such a power, right? That we if we notice these things, we've studied it something like that happens, and you've said, oh, I've studied that, I'm not going there, right? And you can open to it. So, again, let's have trainings for world leaders, and... <laughs> okay, I'm getting, better watch out what I asked for. <laughs> yeah. uh, others, anyone else, please? Yeah. The past couple of weeks on fear. Oh. Hello? Turn And one of the things that she talks about is... Uh, why don't you give, give it to Ann, see if she can fix it. Otherwise, I'll repeat it. I'll repeat the comment or question. And possibly, possibly battery. But why don't you say it, and I'll repeat it. Okay.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. sitting with it, yeah. and then noticing as you sit with it, kind of what you were doing, everything that's happening in your body, yeah. and
0: so on. So uh, I thought it was great today when
1: I found out that's what you were going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing was, um, I wonder if there is an exception to fear always being future-related. Yeah. Because I'm thinking of an um, experience I had one time. I was in a driving and I was in a very crowded area and a car was backing up and I could see that that car was going to just sideswipe me right right into me on the driver's side. And so two things happened. One is I just froze and the other is I sat on top of my head saying, you need to move. Why can't you move? But I couldn't. I was, and it was just, I guess it
0: just went into that reptilian brain. Yeah. Well, you were, so you went fear. into, you went into freeze. Yeah. yeah. So it was fear, but it was, well, I guess it was future related, because that car was. Of what going was going to happen. To yeah. I guess it yeah. was. Um, yeah, we, we can, let's, let's look into that. And your, your first comments, if I can, can I go back to those? Yeah. Were um, related to the coincidence of having in a, was it a study group? Yeah. Uh, reading some of Tara Brock. Uh, who's a for those who don't know her? She's she's a wonderful Dharma teacher in the Washington D.C. area who occasionally teaches Spirit Rock retreats, and she has some wonderful material. I think that I think there's probably a chapter on fear and radical acceptance. Her very good book because she has a a very nice phrase. She talks about the trance of fear, and. It's you know which is related sometimes to this fro the frozen quality sometimes or the way in which we tell ourselves stories and get into a trance of fear where we're repeating the same stories over and over again, right? And I, and you were saying that she was also counseling something similar to what I was bringing up. Just study the fear. How's it in the body? What happens with the mind? You know, what's the emotional energy like? So. Really, really similar voice. So that's a resource if you want to uh, look on Dharma Seed for one of her talks on fear, or read some from uh, Radical Acceptance because I think she has some very nice material on on looking at fear. And maybe maybe we uh, just uh, I think i better have this be the last one, John, because because um, we're we're at t- we're at time now. Yeah.
4: Thank you. You've talked about a whole range of fears. I just want to address um, yeah. fears that are emotionally based. Yeah. And I've come to the conclusion that um, we need to examine the root or the causes of the fear. And I think a lot of times the, the, the root of the fear that we have can be traced to some some deeper pain. Yeah something that occurred in childhood or how yeah. we were raised or how our parents treated us. Right. Or, and and there's, there's that pain that hasn't been addressed and it manifests itself in the fear reactions. And um, I found just from some work that I've been doing that until we really get to that root and address that, um, all these other kinds of things we're doing to try and address the fear can be helpful but mm-hmm. somewhat temporary. Yeah. yeah. And it's always a struggle. It keeps coming up, and we're trying to to address that by doing these different kinds of techniques which right. are helpful. Right. So, um, and I, I think there's a part of us that tries to protect us from that pain. Right. And yeah. it's doing a good job in trying to p- protect us from getting to that pain. And until we get to that pain and address it, then it's going to be a constant struggle. So I don't hear that as much in the Buddhist kind of talks in terms of getting to that part. Mm-hmm. So maybe right. you can yeah, address th- that um, at some point.
0: Yeah, thank you. Maybe, maybe I can do more with that next week. I think it's a very helpful addition and anyone who's come here and particularly people who know the work I do with <coughs> the judgmental mind, which is totally related to what you're talking about. Th- and th- this is pointing to a kind of fear which is essentially based on the unresolved pain from the past, right? So, simple example might be um, similar. What I've, I think I've sometimes given: my parents divorced when I was eight years old. I tended to uh, feel abandoned. I developed a deep fear of people abandoning me, which keeps on happening in my adult life, right? So I'm, I have this fear of abandonment, which can be located in actual events which happened. It manifests in my adult relationships, whether at work or with partners. And I have this deep fear of abandonment which can be triggered very easily. And we could say in a way that it's a kind of trauma, right? Could be a kind of trauma. And and that would be a kind of fear that we carry with us all the time, right? I have, even though it doesn't manifest necessarily, if I have that unresolved fear related to abandonment, it's going to be there with so many of my relationships, right? And that's, I think, what you're talking about. And in a way, to resolve the fear, we have to go to the resolve that underlying issue or the underlying trauma. Maybe we can have more on that next time. Thank you. Thank you for that. So that, that connects with what you're saying. Yeah. So For next time, how many of you would like to continue this theme next time? Okay, how many of you are fearful of doing (laughs) it? Okay, Uh, and so my invitation is: uh, I will try to bring in some new aspects, and but also want to give a lot of room for seeing what you find. uh, Study for the next um, week, and maybe I can. Maybe I can, I have this image on a photograph, maybe I can send this via the listserv to people. The one story of one who set out to study fear. (laughs) Yeah, and um, so have the intention, maybe at the beginning of the day, to study when fear manifests in small ways or bigger ways. In your own experience, also give some attention to how it's manifesting publicly. Or maybe in could be in a work situation, or how it's manifesting in other people, basically, whether publicly or in a work situation, in a family. Just study it. See what you notice. Again, study the way it is in the body. Study especially the uh, proliferation of thinking. And you can add that piece that John brought up about seeing in your own experience to what extent are the fears rooted in past material which still needs more attention. Which again is true both individually and socially. So um, let's finish by let's each set the intention for how, you know, what you want to um, intend coming out of this morning. How might you work with this? Or maybe there's something else that got opened up that you want to follow up with. What's your intention coming out of the morning? We close by remembering that we practice, uh, ultimately, for the benefit of all. That our practice is there for us, but it's also there for others, in our circles of friends, but also that it goes out into the world in known and in mysterious ways. So we, we practice for the benefit of all, always remembering that all includes us. Yay.